doesn't work very well, does it? That's why so many marriages fail. We just want to be open with you, kind of vulnerable about real life for us when we were learning to become one. (laughs) You understand that word learning? Yeah, we were learning to become one. It's interesting, wasn't it, dear? It was a learning, it still is a learning experience sometimes, isn't it? It's always a learning experience because life is a learning experience. And we learn to abide in Jesus Christ. And then when he takes us to our heavenly home, we're going to be learning for eternity. But we'll no longer have to learn that oneness with Christ because that will be then a permanent part of us. Isn't that wonderful? And it'll be through eternity. But you know, it's interesting, you know, it's kind of... To follow Allison is kind of like phase two, you know. And we go back to our courtship, and I, and I know many of you have been in relationships, or you're married, or you're in a relationship presently, and it's, when you love someone, it's not hard to be with them, right? I mean, you think about them all day long. They, they keep coming back to your thoughts, don't they? Again and again and again. You can't wait to spend time with them, Right? You look forward to, you're done with your school, or you're, you're done with your, your work, and you're going home, and you're going to see each other for a couple hours in the evening. You look forward to every one of those little blocks of time with great excitement, great anticipation, because you love that person, and you know that they're the one for you. I think this is important. You know, through our experience, what Allison shared last hour we didn't understand all that. You know, we kind of were just traditional, you know, relationship type thing. And, um, you know, the Lord brought us through that, but we had a lot more to learn. But one thing we did know, that God brought us together without a shadow of a doubt. And this is very important because when the tough times come, mm-hmm. it's always nice to go back and say, but God has done this. He's the one who brought together, and he's the one who can give us that peace and harmony. But we look forward to any time together, and we could talk about anything. And if you can't talk about anything and everything, maybe that's not the right person for you. You've got to be able to be fully open and fully honest. No hiding, you know, putting on this pretended, you know, really zealous Christian uh, desire you have to be honest. And so we were with each other that way, and, and uh, our courtship was very exciting. Yes, it was. I'm just interested, um, since we're with this group, how many of you here are married? Okay, that's good. All right. Because, you know, when, whenever we're... In a, a group of people, we always try to be sensitive to the spirit, to adapt. Now, we can't change our story. <laughs> this is what we're going to be sharing something about, uh, but we like to adapt. And I just want to say and emphasize for just a moment something that Elaine just shared briefly. That is one of the greatest temptations for those of you who are not married. Those of you that are married... It's over for, for that part. <laughs> for those of you that are not married, one of the greatest dangers in a relationship, a pre-marriage relationship, is not being real. It's incredible.
want to please them. I think I'm in love with them. I wish we had time to talk about the difference of, between love and infatuation, but that's another message. I'm in love. Are you sure? Well, I'll see how you're conducting it. But when we feel like that's happening, the natural inclination is to want to keep that person happy, be the right person for them. And what begins to happen many times, too many times, is we start changing who we really are. Okay? Changing the way we really are when we get up in the morning. Okay? Changing all kinds of things to try to make the other person think something about us. Maybe we change the way our apartment looks when they come over. But what they don't realize is that's never the way it is when they're not over. Now that wasn't really the case with me and it wasn't the case with my wife before we were married. But I know it's the case with some people that I know. And so the man thinks, the young man thinks he's getting somebody that's just a great housekeeper. It's one of the shocks <laughs> the morning after, right? So be real. I want you now to switch gears for those of you that are married and go back to your wedding day. Isn't that a great day? Oh, what a great day. This is the culmination of all this time you've spent together. The dream. I can remember standing at the front of the church. Big church, Hinsdale Church, you know. 1,300 member church. It's a long ways to those back double doors. And I was standing there waiting for my wife. Now, my wife-to-be. <laughs> Think about this, those of you that are married. Think about this. Enter in. I was standing there waiting for her to come through those doors back there. In just a few minutes, she's going to be my lawfully wedded wife. Thank you. <laughs> I was excited. Okay? You should have seen my heart pounding. My heart was pounding so hard that I, I tried to very discreetly look down and see if my coat was flapping. It wasn't. I felt like it was. Is that how you felt back there, dear? No, not at all. <laughs> That's it's just the basic. There's a lot of differences between men and women, and these are some of them you'll hear. I was just so excited. You know, I never had any anxiety or any nervousness or, I mean... I, I, I find that awfully hard to believe. <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> I just uh, was looking forward to those doors to open and come down the aisle and uh, I could just hardly wait. I had no fears or anxiety or anything like that. I just knew that from that moment on, we were just going to live happily ever after. <laughs> They're laughing. I know. Some married ones are laughing. <laughs> well, I started positive, didn't I? <laughs> and that's good to start that way, because if you don't start that way, maybe you better turn around before you get to the marriage altar. I want to back up just a minute. We came to know each other, not as a boyfriend and girlfriend. We came to know each other working uh, in the church in the youth group together. So when we young adult Sabbath school leaders. Yes. When we had the opportunity to see each other without the you know, trying to look a certain way and to, you know, flirt or whatever. And so we had a lot of 
real understanding of each other. And that gave us the confidence to know that God was drawing us together because we were real with each other. And that's why I knew um, it was just going to be wonderful. Well, we wanted it to be just right. And so we decided before our wedding day that we were going to start our marriage right. Okay? And here's how we thought we would do it. We thought we would take a different version of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Sounds good, doesn't it? The love chapter. And we were going to read a different version of that every evening before we close the day, beginning with our wedding day. That sound wonderful? Was wonderful. 31 different versions. And that's how we began. And we went on our honeymoon. How was our honeymoon, dear? Well, it was really good, uh, but we found out there, that's where we started seeing some differences that we had. Um, Can you imagine that? <laughs> we went to Hilton Head Island off South Carolina, and we were, we were almost 24 years old, but we were too young to rent a car, so we rented bicycles for the week. It's a little kind of deflating. <laughs> I can't even rent a car? No, you're too young. Now you can rent a car before 25. You just have to pay a lot of extra money. But in those days, you couldn't even rent a car unless you were 25. So we were looking at things that we were going to do on our honeymoon. And one of the things we were going to do was play tennis. Now, I used to like to play tennis. And I used to think I was a pretty good tennis player. Because one of my old boyfriends, our friends, close friends, we used to go play tennis after work. Well, it was interesting that um, we went out to the tennis court that morning, Tom. We never played tennis in our courtship because it was all through the winter months in Chicago. There are not, you know, not very many tennis courts that are playable in the winter. So we're on our honeymoon now, and we're ready to play tennis. And it became very evident that... uh, I was not enjoying the tennis very much because I couldn't seem to hit the ball. I couldn't even seem to get to the ball, much less hit the ball. And uh, it was kind of... I was very self-focused. <laughs> I didn't realize it. I, didn't, I honestly didn't realize it. I just always played tennis to win. I didn't understand. <laughs> honestly, I didn't understand. I wasn't trying to be mean to her, but I thought she said she could play tennis and I played tennis and so... I was playing tennis. <laughs> on, the, on the occasional time I could hit the ball back, he had to do a lot of running to even try to get it because it was not under control. So after a couple of times of out there, um, we thought we'd try something different because it was not enjoyable. What I didn't know until later, and I realized it, you know, after we went through some of these bumps, is that my old friend played tennis to play to. to to hit the ball to me. I thought that's how you played tennis, was you hit it to me. <laughs> he always played to win, which is you hit it away from. And that's why we had difficulty playing tennis. So anyway, then we thought we would go canoeing. Well, now some of you guys are already laughing. I didn't know she was afraid of the water. <laughs> And um, I like boats that, you know, I, I have a, a nice respect for water. It's called fear. And uh, I'm not a good swimmer. And so... Um, Honey, you actually do wonderful now. She actually, we have, we scuba dive together now. Yeah. She, she's... Because I can still breathe, and that's very important to me in the water. <laughs> 
I never learned how to, to swim and breathe at the same time. I got to do one or the other. <laughs> but anyway, we got this canoe that we rented. And, and it, you know, there's canoes. We own a canoe now. And it's, it's a nice, like, flat bottom, real stable thing. Well, the canoe we rented was one of these, you know, kind of a V-shaped bottom that as soon as you put your foot into it, it wants to tip you over. And we got on this river. It's a river canoe versus a lake canoe. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I wanted to wear my life jacket. <laughs> and he didn't think it was necessary to wear, a, I mean, you know, wear a life jacket just on this river. Just have it in the boat. <laughs> So anyway, it was quite stressful. He kept saying, just relax, just relax. How can I relax when we're going like this? You know, I just know I'm going to fall out any time. In reality, when I was a little girl, I was in a canoeing accident. And I was hit on the head with a canoe and nearly knocked out. And it was very fearful because I could have drowned. And not being able to swim, that, that combination, to put me in a canoe. See, he had no idea. And so that didn't really go over very good. So we really, we, we went out to eat, and we did pretty good at that. So. <laughs> yes, we did good at that. And we did pretty good on the bicycles. Yeah, we had a great time on the bicycles. When we came back from our honeymoon, real life began. Do you know what I mean by that? Being on the honeymoon, we didn't have to do anything that, that wasn't necessary. We could just do whatever we wanted to do together, and it was great. But something happened when we got back, and things began to change. And it didn't seem like we were communicating like we used to communicate. And I remember that one day we were driving to work. Yeah, always in our courtship. I mean, we could talk to each other any time of the day and always carry on a conversation and always run out of time before mm -hmm. we ran out of things to say. And now we're married and we're going back and forth to work, you know, a couple weeks into it, month into it. And all of a sudden, he's just sitting there driving the car. And I'm talking like I normally talk, and he's just not responding. And so I said, uh, you know, how come you don't talk to me like you used to? I really didn't know how to answer that question. And I tried to say, well, I'm just not a morning person. So, okay? so then I asked him, well, how come you don't talk on the way home from work? Because it's not morning anymore. I wasn't dealing very well with the stress of life. And I felt like she was not the same person that I married. Now... What we didn't understand was that we were having a negative, we called it a fatal cycle. We didn't call it that then. That's what we call it now when we do our marriage seminar. <laughs> we didn't understand that that's what was happening then. But as I was not communicating, she was feeling insecure. And here's this bubbly, vivacious, organized, on top of it kind of woman. And all of a sudden... Well, it wasn't all of a sudden. We couldn't tell you the, the full story. We'd be here for hours, right? <laughs> but it seemed like all of a sudden she wasn't that way anymore. But that's because I was focusing on her. And I was starting to pick at the weaknesses. And it got to the point where I started focusing on the flaws, the things that weren't right, because I expected... I didn't know I expected this, but I expected her to be my Eve, right? This is my woman. This is who God, God made for me, right? 
never occurred to me that I was supposed to be anything like Adam. Right? That's the self, that's, that's the me focus. And that's what I was in. And I didn't even understand it. What I didn't realize was that I was trying to fit my wife into my life. Instead of her becoming my, my life. I was trying to fit her into my lifestyle. When, and we didn't understand all this. When, when she married me, you weren't just trying to fit me in, right? No, he became my life. And we've shared this with many, many couples, and they can identify with it. It's like the man just, okay, you know, well, I've got this time, this time, and this time. Okay, she can fit here, here, and here. And for the woman, it's very different. He becomes everything. You know, your whole life is focused on him versus his whole life, I just fit into the empty slots. With his friends, with his sports, with his job, with his responsibilities at church, with his hobbies, with his moods. And, you know, I can't just say it was his problem. I didn't deal with it very good myself. Because when my feelings got hurt, and it doesn't take a lot for our feelings to get hurt, does it? I mean, everybody in this room can identify with hurt feelings in relationships. It's nothing new. We, we experience them as children. We experience them all the way through adulthood. And so when our feelings get hurt, we need to know how to deal with those feelings in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we focus on ourselves. And you want to find someone who's really depressed? Find someone who thinks about themselves. That's the biggest cause of depression. depression I start thinking about myself, how others are treating me wrong, nobody loves me, nobody cares for me, poor me, and we go downhill. When we think of others, we think of the Lord, we find joy. When we focus on ourselves, we find discouragement. And so I started feeling insecure in the relationship because it didn't seem like I was important to him like I thought I should be or I thought I used to be. And I started getting my feelings hurt. And so I found myself starting to withdraw. Why? Because that's human nature. We withdraw to protect ourselves, don't we? That's what we do. We have different ways of responding. And then sometimes I would come out of that withdrawal and I would be sarcastic or sharp or, you know, kind of put him in his place, you know. And I I don't feel proud of that. We didn't understand how to abide in Christ. All we knew was... The truths of our church. Not to say that wasn't important, but we didn't know how to have a vital connection with Jesus. And because we didn't understand that, when we got into our marriage and we started hitting these rough spots, they became magnified in us. So I went through some very discouraging moments and uh, (laughs) spent some time crying alone and uh, things didn't seem to get better. See, what I didn't realize then, and we share all this with you now. You know, <laughs> we have the program now on 3ABN. How many of you have seen that? I've only seen it myself, a little bit of one, but um, <clears throat> Marriage in God's Hands, it's called. And it's a 26-segment marriage program. Anyway, you know, somebody recently said to me, Wow, you guys, you guys had lots of problems. I said, well, really, that wasn't the case. Most people have those kind of problems, but they aren't able to deal with them practically. They hide. and They bury it. They don't talk about it. They don't admit it. They don't find a solution until it erupts. And that's what happens in most marriages. Now, 
When somebody tells me that, you know, they've been married for, for 25 years and they've never had an argument with their wife, I say, <laughs> praise the Lord, or <laughs> you liar. <laughs> I mean, I don't say that to them, but, you know, <laughs> maybe they're just naive or just, you know, whatever. But, I mean, most people, when they face these problems, it comes because we're in what we call the me focus. The me focus. That means my whole world revolves around how you affect me. How everybody else affects me. If I can get everybody to do it my way, I'll be happy, right? No. Does that bring happiness? Selfishness can never be appeased, friends. The Caesars proved it. Solomon proved it. If anyone could have proven it, Solomon had all the money he could ever want and more than he could ever use. He had all the influence he could ever want. He had all the women he could ever want. Right? If I, you know, if I don't like this wife, I can get another one, right? He proved it, didn't he? And at the end of it all, he was a miserable man. He said, it's all vanity. He's the one that said, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. You know, the me focus must change to the us focus. The reason we can so freely share with you our defects is because we can freely share with you the living power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a life-changing power. We have a marriage that's heart-to-heart. We have a marriage that is keeping us in Christ Jesus. We have a love that is growing stronger every day. So we can afford to tell people where we failed because we can tell people how to find success in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'll tell you, one night, my wife was sitting in the corner of our office crying uncontrollably, sitting on the floor in the corner of our office, not six months into our marriage, weeping uncontrollably. You know, you know how it affected me? You think I ran over there and just put her in my arms and said, oh, I've been such a tyrant. I didn't know I was. I didn't know how selfish I was. I didn't realize that I was living a single lifestyle in a married relationship. That's what I was doing. I didn't see it then. That's what I was doing. Living a single lifestyle. My mind was still a single man. I just added a wife into the equation. How convenient. Right? No, that's not how it's supposed to be. And I went downstairs to our basement. And I sat there. I flopped down on the couch. And I said, here we go again. What is the matter with that woman? <laughs> I mean, she used to be so alive and vivacious and energetic and organized and secure and confident and all these kind of words, right? What's the matter with her? That's what I was saying. I was frustrated. And then I heard the Lord speak to me. Before that night, I had never really understood the still, small voice. And that night it was not a small voice. 
It was not even a still, small voice. It could have been audible. It wasn't. I've talked to people who have actually heard the voice of the Lord audibly. Okay? Very incredible story. But it wasn't an audible voice, but it might as well have been. And this is what the Lord simply said to me. And it's amazing to me that the Lord speaks to us where we are. Okay? And he spoke to me where I was that night. And he said, if you don't stop picking on your wife, you are going to destroy her. I can walk in the kitchen, literally. I'm not proud of this. I'm just proud of the Lord Jesus Christ and his power to change our lives. I can walk in the kitchen with my wife was cutting an onion. And when she was aware of my presence, she would begin to tremble. Her hands would begin to tremble. Do you know why? Because she couldn't please me. She didn't know how to please me anymore. And there I was, sitting there, and the Lord spoke to me. And that night, for the first time, I began to see that I, big capital I, selfish me, was the problem. Now, I really wasn't all the problem, but but she can tell her side. (laughs) (laughs) For the first time, I saw my problem. I began to see that it wasn't what is wrong with her. It is what is wrong with me. The Lord said to me there in the stillness of that moment, write down ten things you appreciate about your wife. Does that sound... How many of you here, how many husbands here think you could write ten things you appreciate about your wife right now? Amen. Good. That's about 10% of you can say that. That's not a very good average, but I appreciate that. That night, I could only think of one thing that I appreciated about my wife because of my selfish focus. Do you know what it was? She was a wonderful cook. <laughs> oh, she was a good cook. Weren't you, dear? Still are. <laughs> but I told him on more than one occasion, I want to be more than a cook to you. And I didn't really want to hear that I was a good cook anymore. <laughs> so I had to forget about that one. And I, and I sat there, and I tell you, it wasn't very funny that night. I sat there. And the Lord began to show me the wretchedness of myself. And I said, God, help me. Help me. You know, when we ask God to help us, when Peter said, Lord, save me or I perish, you will never utter those words or even that thought without the Lord being there for you. Amen. Because he's always there. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. The problem is we just keep leaving him, leaving him, forsaking him, going our own way. And I cried out to the Lord and I said, Lord, help me. Open my mind. Open my eyes. And he did. And I started to write. And I got so excited. It's like the the scales fell off my eyes. I was seeing with new eyes. I was feeling new feelings inside. I was seeing myself for who I was. And I started writing. When I got to the tenth thing, you know what I wanted to do? My wife's upstairs, crying in the room. I want to run upstairs and say, Honey, 
I want to tell you 10 things I appreciate about you. The Lord said, no. No. You live those 10 things. You demonstrate your appreciation and your love. And you go upstairs and you repent and confess. And I did. I went upstairs a different person. And I took my wife in my arms and I repented for my sin. And you forgave me. (laughs) Because I love you. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. The problem wasn't all one-sided. You know, when we, either of us have the me focus, we're destined to failure. And I had a me focus too because he wasn't meeting my needs the way I thought in my castle building that he should. You know, when we spend all our time watching the programming of love, the way the world presents it, Mm. we become very disillusioned when we get into the love in a marriage that doesn't match the romance that the world says is love. Because right. it's, it's, it's a counterfeit love. True love is, is a principle. It's holy. It's noble. It's not selfish. It's not me-focused. It's us-focused. Us and so we both had problems. And my weakness um, you know, greatly agitated his weakness. And these are weaknesses we didn't know until we got in the marriage. And so well, I can remember him coming in the door. Why was I sitting in the corner on the floor? Because I was embarrassed for my conduct. You know, I was trying to hide because I was acting childish, and I really was. But that's where I was, nonetheless. And when he came to the door, I sensed his presence there, you know, and I didn't want to look up. Because I didn't know if it was going to make me feel worse or if I was going to, you know, respond with aggression, which I was very capable of doing. And he just stood there quietly, and I sensed a different spirit. And that started to work on my heart. And then I could sense him and hear him quietly walking over and you know then he kneeled down and he was kneeling beside me he didn't condemn me he didn't say what's the matter with you which I've heard which I had heard before he just said honey I'm sorry I'm sorry for the pain I've caused you and I tell you it just broke my heart and I looked up and and his eyes were so so sincere so honest so humble and you know, I found it, it. It's not hard to forgive once we get our focus off ourselves. Everything in me wanted to forgive. And from that day forward, we've had some pretty big bumps here and there, but it's never been like that again. Amen. And I'm thankful for that. But it's interesting. At the end of it all, within moments, we were in each other's arms, and we were just laughing at the, the silliness of the whole situation, that we had been just, you know engrossed in Mm. the ways of response for those weeks previous. You know, we were sharing this. That's a great story, dear. (laughs) (laughs) You know, sometimes it's good to go back and see how God has delivered us, how he's led us in the past. We were sharing this once, and I said, after I talked about those ten things, I said... You know, today, I can write 50 things that I love and appreciate about my wife. 
So after the meeting, she said, honey, <laughs> I really enjoy that list. <laughs> so. So I have a new list at home. It has 54 things. And uh, he, you know, the interesting thing was the 10 things. He didn't tell me what they were because I wanted to read the list, you know. As much as he wanted to give me the list, I wanted to read it. But he told me he was going to demonstrate it. And I had to identify those things. And that was good for me to be able to see that. If he'd have given me the list, I might have said, oh, you're not doing this very good. You're not doing that very good. You know what I mean? The human nature. But when I had to look for him and identify him, we have to look for the good in each other, right? God looks in the, for the good in us and he forgives the bad in us and he wants to change the bad and make us good. Mm-hmm. And so when I had to look for those things, I could identify them and they were real. Well, when the new list came, the nice thing was is that I already knew those things existed. They were just out on pen. And I saved that piece of paper. It's in a special file in my drawer. And sometimes, even yet, I'll pull it out and I'll read through it. You know, it just makes the day. It's just a little thing, but it, it really makes for special moments and memories. Amen. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind one to another. Is that high theology? Do you have to get out your concordance to figure the words out? Do you have to look up the meaning in the Greek? No. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. If that kindness, if that tender-heartedness, if that forgiveness was real, If those three elements in this simple text were manifest in marriage, the marriages in the Seventh-day Adventist Church today would not be at 50% divorce. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us, Has he forgiven us? Has he shown tenderness to us? As a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. You know, God wants to put that in us. And in order for us to manifest kindness, I want to ask you a question. How hard is it for you to be kind to the person you do bank transactions with? Is it hard? Do you treat them with kindness? How hard is it for you to treat with kindness the person that checks you out at the grocery store? How hard is it? Not hard at all. You know, an observation that we have made is that many times it's easier to treat everybody else more kindly then we treat the one that we said we wanted to spend our whole life with. The one above every other person. This is the person that God gave me to spend my life with. Should I be able to be kind to her? Should I be able to be tender-hearted to her? Should I be able to forgive? But you know, we can't do it in the me focus. That's part two, but we won't be talking about that here, so... Anyway, you have to hear that somewhere else. (laughs) The me focus. When we're in the me focus, 
The most basic Christianity cannot happen in the marriage. can't happen. Because the me focus says, you must do it for me. You be kind to me. You be tenderhearted to me. You forgive me. Right? That's what the me focus says. The us focus says, I'm going to consider us in how I treat you. Not just me. Does that make sense? Amen. But that will only happen as we're willing to surrender ourselves completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we want to have a marriage heart to heart with the one that we've been joined to in this earth, we have to have a relationship that's heart to heart with our God and Jesus Christ. In closing, we'd like to sing... I'm going to do a little soundtrack. Allison has put this on a soundtrack for us. A song called Forever Friends. We'll see if they... They weren't exactly sure it would work. One of the aspects of technology today, right? <laughs> See, Allison isn't always with us. See, she could have actually just come over and played it on the piano, right, Allison? Well, we have, a, we have the music. If it doesn't work, we'll give you the music and you can play it for us. How's that for putting you on the spot? She'll be happy to do it, right, Allison? <laughs> Wasn't that a statement of faith? <laughs> you know, we like to talk about practical Christianity here. How's it going up there in the sound booth, gentlemen? No go? Okay. Do you know the words about the music? Oh, we'll just sing down by the piano. Okay. Right? I just... Okay, Allison. A minute, lady. Things are changing, seasons come and seasons go. Very few things last forever, but deep within our hearts we know we're forever friends, bound by love that time can't take away. Forever friends can special kind of way heart to heart and hand in hand we'll stand until the end love's forever when we're forever friends 
all children of the Father in His keeping and His care. And the Spirit that He gives us is a love we're meant to share. We're forever friends bound by love that time can't take away. Forever friends caring in a special kind of way. Heart to heart and hand in hand we'll stand until the end. Love's forever win. We're forever friends. Love's forever win. We're forever friends. Will you kneel with me as we close? Oh, Father in heaven, what a privilege we have to become one with you, with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What a blessed opportunity that you've given to us when you said the two shall become one. Lord, we know that we can only really be one with each other as husband and wife when we allow ourselves to be surrendered to be one with you. I pray that each one of us here, those that are married and those that may be contemplating marriage, those that may be looking forward to the day that you bring the right person, that we can take the simple principles that you want to put in our hearts, that we can give up the me focus, that selfish me, and look to you for the us focus. What can I do for us? How can we work together for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.